Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. We've got Valentine's Day and/or Singles Awareness Day coming up, depending on your life <laughs> state. Even big plans, Ethan? I don't. I'll be doing a show. Dial in for murder that night. My wife was here visiting for the weekend for opening, but uh, she flew back this afternoon, so I'll, I'll be alone. How about you? Any big plans? Uh, I'm going to be spending Valentine's Day with my my true love, Squire's devotion. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been determined that I have a fetish with that card, and it's probably true. You are a bit a bit in love with that card for sure. We've got a date Wednesday night. I don't know if uh, Squire's devotion is that into you, Ben. Oh, it it absolutely is. <laughs> We were a match made in heaven. Yeah, you have been crushing the draft streets on Twitch this week. You've been like getting lots of viewers and getting lots of trophies. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, so I'm up to, if we check in on the trophy leaderboard, I'm up to 61 drafts, 17 trophies, uh, an overall record of 113 and 57 for a 66% win rate. So got that back up. How about you? Uh, yeah, I did not get to draft that much this weekend, but I did draft a bit this week. I'm up to 85 drafts with 21 trophies, uh, 152 to 84 win-loss record for a 65% win rate. So up from where I was uh, last week at, I think, 62. So I sort of ducked out of the competitive queues, went back into the kiddie pool, and my win rate has gone up uh, to match that. Yeah, me too. I have the same thing. So I tried out, like after hearing you talk about it, I tried out the competitive leagues for just a bit. And I did four drafts and I went 01, 01, 11, 11. And with some fine, like some fine decks, but like it felt miserable for several reasons. One, like I didn't win, obviously, which doesn't feel good. But losing that quickly and losing like $15 when you lose that quickly just like makes me feel way more competitive and way more invested in the outcome than I am in the intermediate queues. It just wasn't like, despite not winning, it just wasn't fun for me having that much money on the line, like on the draft. I just didn't enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. And I had a similar sort of bottoming out experience of going like one, 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 oh, one. And like you do that four or five times in a row, that's like 60, 75 bucks flush down the toilet. That's not really what I'm trying to do in an afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, me either. But since I've come back, I've been on a huge heater. Uh, it ended My streak ended as soon as I verbalized these words. I promptly did an O2 drop. But <laughs> prior to that, I had 17 drafts in a row that were all 3-0s or 2-1s with 12 finals appearances and six trophies, which is like an insanely good run. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to get into like, I think why that win rate has gone up and why you're having so much success. Um, but before we do that, we want to address our new patrons. That's right. We do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash lords of limited uh it's a place where you can give back to the show if you so choose i gotta say our discord chat which is the base level you give a dollar per show you're gonna get access to lords of limited discord and that is worth it you have access to not only me and ben giving you like on the fly feedback about your decks about your drafts about like what cards to cut what cards to sideboard in but also access to the entire community of listeners that are as invested in limited as you and i are ben so i think it's really really worth it for that uh someone in twitch this week said the the three dollar tier where you get access to the show notes is like the best money they've spent in anything magic content related uh they that that listener really found the show notes super helpful for them so we have a lot of things that we we try and give back to our our listeners who want to give uh, some money via the Patreon. Uh, and one of the things that we do get, get to do is to shout you out on the show. So we want to welcome Gregorios, Stephen, Arthur, and Todd. Thank you all so much for deciding to contribute to the show this week. We really, really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so, so, so much. And I love doing the podcast. And my second favorite thing about the podcast is having the Discord to come home to <laughs> and look at people's drafts. It's awesome. You know, there's a Discord app for your phone. 
Is there really? Uh-oh. Oh, no. Mind blown. Yeah, you're you're done now. Now you're not going to be paying any attention. No, I'm not going to be able to install that on my phone or I'm going <laughs> to stop educating during the school day. <laughs> There's just no way. Well, I'm just throwing it out there. There is a Discord app. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into everything we want to discuss today, which we do have a lot, uh, we want to take a seat at a roundtable, Ben? Yeah, let's do it. Great. So this was a draft uh, that I did post the resulting deck to uh, Twitter as the most medium deck to ever trophy. But I thought there were some pretty interesting picks in how I navigated this draft, and I'm not sure they were correct. But I also want to discuss, like, sort of like, plead my case for why I think it was correct and, and get your, your thoughts on this. So pack one, pick one is pretty easy. We have Azor's Gateway, which is the two mana legendary artifact it's like a looter one tap it to draw a card and then you exile the card from your hand and then there has there's a bunch of other text that doesn't really come up in limited unless you're trying to get an achievement that says uh, if cards with five or more different converted mana costs are exiled with azor's gateway you gain five life untap it and transform it and it turns into a land that taps for uh any number of colored mana for your life total so this card not only is like a pretty good card, is colorless, it's also worth like six, seven bucks on Magic Online. So if you're trying to draft for any sort of value, I think it's kind of a no-brainer to grab that here. What do you think? I agree completely. Would be slamming that. Just the even even like value aside, just the fact that it's a colorless looting effect at two mana is just super, super valuable. The games are gonna go long in the format. And having card selection over the course of a long game is really, really powerful, especially like not tied to a creature. It's hard to interact with this card. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to grab that and then move on to pick two. Cards in consideration are there's a mutiny, single red, sorcery, target creature and opponent controls, deals damage equal to its power to another target creature that player controls. Uh, there's a dusk charger, three and a black for the three, three horse with ascend. If you have the city's blessing, it gets plus two, plus two. Silvergill Adept, one and a blue for the 2-1 Merfolk Wizard. As an additional cost to cast it, you may reveal a Merfolk card from your hand or pay three. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card. And Charging Tuscadon, three red red for the 4-4 four, four Dinosaur with Trample. And if it would deal combat damage to a player, it deals double that damage instead. And I guess our rare in the pack we'll mention too is one and a white Paladin of Atonement, one and a white for the 1-1 one, one Vampire Knight. At the beginning of each upkeep, if you lost life last turn, you put a plus one plus one counter on it, and then when it dies, you gain life equal to its toughness. Yeah, you've got some interesting choices here. I think Mutiny I would quickly rule out because I think Charging Tuscadon's a much better red card. Charging Tuscadon is the red card you want at the top of your curve of like a mid-range or yeah. an aggressive red deck. It hits so hard and it's very threatening. Dust Charger's pretty medium, not interested in picking it this early, uh, but it's a fine filler four drop in your black decks, maybe slightly above filler. Yeah. Silvergill Adept I think is very good, but I kind of view that as a blue-green gold card uh, and specifically like a blue-green merfolk gold card like just doesn't even go in any blue-green deck necessarily right so while that might be the like highest power level card in the pack i don't think i'm interested in taking it here because it's very committing uh, so that leaves it boiled down to charging tuscadon versus paladin of atonement i like paladin of atonement quite a bit in a vampire's deck i think it's better than your average two mana two two by quite a bit doesn't quite pull me into white but i think it's a rock solid c plus so as a result charging tuscadon does pull me into red, uh, and I think that's what I'd settle on here. That's interesting. I'm not crazy about Paladin of Atonement. That card has not impressed me. There's like a Sanguine Glorifier in the pack. That's the three and a white, three, three vampire that when it enters the battlefield, you can put a plus and plus one counter on another vampire you control. Like, I almost like that card better in a vampire's deck. I, Paladin of Atonement seems super replaceable to me. That's interesting. I've had better experiences with the card, but I've only had a chance to play with it once or twice, so maybe I just had good experiences with it and I am too high on the card. Interesting. But you'd be on Tuscadon here? I would absolutely be on Tuscan on here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so funny. I feel like a lot of the, the takeaways from people like to latch on on our very extreme statements from the avoiding the aggro trap episode. And one of those was like, we don't want to be red. And that's not to say that I'm like avoiding red. Like if it's open, if a powerful card like Tuscadon is here, if a Tali is in the pack, I'm, I'm going to take a red card, you know, like I'm not avoiding it at all costs. It's just the certain types of decks that red has in it are, are decks that I'm trying to avoid. Right. Sometimes you're not going to be able to steer away from red, but when we can, we're trying to like this, this is a pretty clear Tuscadon, I think. And I feel good about it. Like, Tuscadon's a great card. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not mad about having that in my deck, for sure. Um, I think pack one, pick three, we can sort of shortcut as well, because there's a lot of, like, fillerish two drops. You know, we've got a Martyr of Dusk. That's the vampire that, when it dies, makes a 1-1 one, one lifelinker. There's the Guilt Grove Stalker, one in a green for the 2-1 Merfolk that can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. But we've got a red forerunner, the three and a red, one, three, human soldier, tutors up a dinosaur, and then whenever a dino enters the battlefield under your control, you may deal one damage to all creatures. I think that's a pretty sweet follow-up to the Tuscadon. 
Yeah. Easy slam dunk after picking the Tuscan on there and like yeah. gonna give your deck a lot of consistency in the late game, having two copies essentially of charging Tuscadon. And we've got a looter, and we've got the artifact looter. Yeah. Off to a great start here for any kind of red mid-range deck or aggressive deck. I agree. So I think pick four is where is, is one of my two questions I have out of this draft. So pick four cards we have in consideration are, I guess I got to shout it out because I know you love this card, Vampire Revenant, three and a black for the three one Vampire Spirit with flying. Love's a, a strong word. We're not going on a date on Valentine's Day. Yeah, but what if Squire's Devotion was like, I'm busy? Yeah, still probably not. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> still probably not. <laughs> I do. I think it's fine in a vampire's deck, like is very playable in a vampire's deck and not an embarrassing card. Yeah. Uh, Snubhorn Sentry, single white for the 03 dino with Ascend. Uh, if you have the city's blessing, it gets plus three plus O. Uh, Secrets of the Golden City, one blue blue for the sorcery. Draw two. If you have the city's blessing, you draw three. Another mutiny. Uh, I guess a majestic Helioptorus we can name is three and a white for the two two dino with flying. When it attacks, uh, uh, you may give another target dinosaur you control flying until end of turn and arch of Arazka is the rare that's the land that taps for a generic mana and if you have the city's blessing you can pay five and tap it to draw a card interesting so you said you were had question marks here i'm i'm yeah. trying to determine what that question mark is so for me i'd pretty immediately rule out snubhorn sentry and majestic heliopterus i think okay. uh, as the two white cards of the two of those i think i'd be more excited about snubhorn sentry and maybe hoping to pick up heliopterus on the wheel if i was exactly in red white dinosaurs i think that card's probably playable mm-hmm. and then between mutiny and secrets of the golden city i think secrets of the golden city is a better blue card like just a better card in the abstract Mm -hmm. but we already have two red cards and a colorless card and mutiny is a strong removal spell i think the first copy is good in your deck especially if you're not super aggressive and then there's arch of arazka also i'm not very high on arch of arazka at all and maybe i'm too low on that my mana bases frequently are stretching color requirements and so having a colorless land i think is a pretty big cost to your deck so I, i would be trying to narrow it down between mutiny secrets and arch i guess but i would quickly rule out arch i have a feeling you're higher on arch than i am but i think i would just end up settling on mutiny here and stick to drafting red cards cool so that's where i landed as well i grabbed the mutiny i I think it was really just between mutiny and arch i think arch is a better card than mutiny um and i like the idea and you're the point you make about stretching mana bases is i think true and we'll get to that in a little bit about where we're landing in terms of numbers of colors in our decks so that that is a real cost in this format i think to just run a colorless land but at the same time it is it is a land that that has a powerful effect so like like when we talk about drafting lands in cube like when you can grab lands in draft it's pretty strong because you're getting to play more of your picks in your deck uh a consideration i had here was like cutting red this is the only red card in the pack, and I think that's kind of important, like just sort of like sticking with with the lane that I've I've carved out in the first few picks. Um, and this is something that, eh, eh, dude, Sasha has yelled at me in stream before, is that I like do a lot of like bobbing and weaving. About, well, this is the bit, <laughs> like, like this card is, mar- like Secrets of the Golden City is better than Mutiny, so I'll take it here. And he's like, but why are you like, there's a good red card for you to take, and you have two red cards. Why are you taking a blue card? So... So the, the, those are all just like thoughts like jumbling around in my head that I, I wanted to, to see what you what you thought about. So but we're both on mutiny here. Yep. All right. So moving on to pack one, pick five, a bunch more medium cards. Uh, we see a Martyr of Dusk, one in a white for the two one vamp. When it dies, you make a one one. Fathom Fleet Border, two in a black for the three three pirate. When it enters the battlefield, if you do not control another pirate, it deals two damage to you. Brazen Freebooter, misses Sailor of Means, three in a red for the three three human pirate. When it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token. And Highland Lake, the blue red tapped dual land. Yeah, I'm not excited about any of these cards here. Yeah. Martyr of Dusk, I like in a Vampire's deck, but we're way far away from that, and I don't think I particularly like it that much outside of Vampire's. I mean, it's fine filler if you need a two-drop. It's also kind of awkward with the Forerunner. Yes, also kind of awkward with the Forerunner. That's a fair point. Both the black cards, I'm higher on Dust Charger than I am Fathom Fleet Border, so between Mm -hmm. those two, I'd be on Dust Charger. Brazen Freebooter, I think you can pick up a lot later than this. I'm not excited about that there. I think I'd end up settling on Highland Lake just as opening up future doors uh, for either splashing good blue cards and or maybe even if I end up blue-red helping me splash another color by having a doubled source of my two main colors. That was exactly my thought process, and I grabbed Highland Lake. 
All right, the last pick I want to look at here, and I think this is probably the most controversial one. Uh, pack one, pick six, you see the following cards. Frilled Death Spitter, two in a red for the 3-2 Dino with Enrage, deal two damage to target opponent. Moment of Craving, one in a black for the instant target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn, and you gain two life. Uh, there's another Snubhorn Sentry, another Vampire Revenant, and a Water Knot, one blue, blue for the aura. When it enters the battlefield, tap Enchanted Creature, and Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Yeah, this is interesting here. Moment of Craving and Water Knot are both significantly better cards than Frilled Despiter in my mind. Mm-hmm. Frilled Despiter's replacement level in my brain. So I think I would be settling on one of Moment of Craving or Water Knot, except like the, the thing that's a bummer about that to me is those are the two color pairs I'm least excited to play. Like I really am trying to steer away from red, black, and red, blue mm-hmm. if I can avoid it. Having just picked up Highland Lake, there's a little bit of a thought to Water Knot, but double blue is tough. I think Moment of Craving is splashable. I'm not sure how good of a splash card it is, um, but I do think there's probably like red-black removal, like mid-range decks too that I've not really explored. So I think mm-hmm. I would be on Moment of Craving here looking to do something along those lines, either splash it or play like a more mid-rangey black-red deck. Yeah. This is a tough pick for me because like Moment of Craving 6th feels like a signal, except we haven't seen any black. Right, that's the other weird thing. You haven't seen good black or blue, and then all of a sudden there's two great black and blue cards here. Right, which is, yeah, was a tough thing for me to figure out. And so here is something I just have like a general question about in sort of draft philosophy. So I, I took the frilled death spitter here with the thought of like, it feels like the more I, the later I go into pack one, like if I'm pick five, pick six, and I'm more monocolored, then the more likely I feel like I want to stay that to leave my options open for pack two to be able to like open any off color bomb and be like, all right, cool. That's my second color. Or like, I want to try and make that my second color as much as possible. Like, do you feel like there's any value in that? Like Phil Deathspitter is like a pretty, it's like a, I don't know. It's a C right in a red deck. I think it's a C minus probably. I think it goes up a little bit with the forerunner, but I, you're right. I mean, it's not, not exciting by any stretch, certainly notches below moment of craving and water knot. Right. So my thought would be, I don't think I'm going to miss a Frilled Despiter in my deck. And if I ended up in blue or black, I would very much miss having access to a Water Knot or Moment. And I've yeah. not really found myself struggling for playables in the format ever. That's true. So I think I think you're fine. It's not, And it's not like Frilled Despiter is going to be an integral card in your deck. Will yeah. you play it? Probably. But uh, I think I'd settle on moment here pretty solidly. That's a good point. That the way you just worded that of like if you if you're bla- if you're red, you're not going to miss the death spitter. If you're black or blue, you are going to miss having access to those removal spells. Yeah. So I probably would have grabbed with that in mind and going back. I think I would have grabbed moment of craving here. Cool. All right. Thanks for that. That, that was super helpful for me. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It was a good draft. Yeah. Well, it was not a good draft, but it did end up trophying with like just the most random pile of red green cards I've ever seen. But uh, I'll take it. So today we want to take a look at sideboarding for rivals. It was so funny. You were, I was Skyping in on your stream the other day and we were like sort of talking about stuff and uh, like what we wanted to do for the episode. And you were like, I think sideboarding is a really good idea. I was like, is there enough to talk about? And then it only took me like 30 seconds of like rattling some stuff off that I was like, oh yeah, there's plenty to talk about with sideboarding in this format. Yeah, I think sideboarding is huge in this format because there's such a wide variety of angles that decks attack you from like the the aggressive decks like despite the fact that we're trying to steer away from them are very good and are very real and like do kill you dead if you stumble at all and they have a good draw So Mm -hmm. you have to respect the aggressive decks, and yet there's decks on the opposite side of the spectrum that are, like, going super huge. So you have to balance both ends of that spectrum, being able to interact with both of those types of decks if you're trying to 3-0. Yeah, for sure. So there were just a few things from the week that I wanted to touch on before we get into the sideboarding. I feel like we keep teasing this as our our main topic. But I wanted to say that after watching you, so you Skyped into Sasha's stream uh, earlier this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great. I think it was... Gosh, we should figure out what that date was, because the VOD is really, really informative. I went back and watched it. I wasn't able to catch it live. But it was great because Sasha is such a knowledgeable player, and you were such a good guest in terms of, like, forcing him to talk through some things that I think he might take for granted because he's such a a good player and, and gave insights to some reasons why he was picking certain things. So you guys did a draft where, like, you said what you would pick, and then he said why he would agree or disagree with you. And it was just like really, really, really informative. But the big takeaway from that for me was that I got to move up Water Knot and Luminous Bonds in my pick order. Yeah, I think removal is very, very good, especially as the format slows down. So in the 
in the first week when we were on it being like super aggressive, you know, the three drop enchantment removal is a little clunky because maybe you're trading down with two drops, but it turns out that that's not the case that often. And those aren't really the cards you want to interact with the two drops anyway. And there are some bombs in the format that you need to be able to answer and Colossal Dreadmaws running around and having access to a spell that costs three mana to interact with those type of cards is very, very good. Yeah, for sure. He, he made this point about like, I really want to have like five to six removal spells in my deck. And I was like, yeah, I think I've been thinking about them as more replaceable. And with the format slowing down, they're just like, they're premium. We're, be- we're back to bread, right? Like that, that's where we're at. You just got to take the removal pretty highly. So where are they at in your pick orders? Luminous Bonds is two for me in white behind Squire's Devotion, my true love. (laughs) And I think Water Knot is probably like number two for me behind, maybe it's number one. Like I I don't care about any of like Kite Sail, Corsair, Water Knot, and Sailor of Means. Those are all, and Spire Winder. There's so many, they're all, the power level's so flat in the Blues Commons. Yeah, Uh, I think, yeah, I think it depends, but I think Water Knot is now probably two for me, like Sailor of Means, then Water Knot. But I feel like it depends. Like, I might take the first Water Knot over the first Sailor, because, like, who knows how splashable I want to go. You know, that's it's pretty fluid and subjective to where the where I'm at in the draft. But that brings me to the next point of, like, that one of the reasons I still have Sailor of Means so high is my decks are more often than not three plus colors. And I don't think that is me, like, memeing here. I think that's just, like... There's a lot of fixing and a lot of bombs or like near bombs worth splashing for that I just feel like I often don't have to stretch my mana base that much to like pick up an Evolving Wilds early or pick up some Treasure Makers early or those dual lands. Like there's just so much fixing and so much powerful stuff that I feel like you're losing out on value if you're not taking advantage of that. I absolutely agree. Evolving Wilds keeps going up and up and up in my pick order. I don't think I'd be that sad to first or second pick it. And I think it's absolutely supposed to go in like the pick three through pick six range. And even if you're two colors, there's so many good three drops that are double colored, like in black and green, like you want to cast your Brontodon for one GG and you want to cast your Golden Demise for one black black or your Chupacabra for two black black. There's heavy color requirements, even in two color decks in the format. Yeah, for sure. It's that's not going to be a lost pick if you grab Evolving Wilds. I definitely, definitely think you should be taking those higher. And then I'll be sad when I don't see them. (laughs) Yeah. And I would also like to state that Evolving Wilds is way better than Traveler's Amulet. Like there's not really a comparison. Like there's a significant gap. Like Evolving Wilds is probably like a B minus for a Mm -hmm. multicolored deck. Like doesn't really pull you into multicolor, but it's that valuable, valuable a card if you are multicolor. Whereas Traveler's Amulet is like a C minus or something like that, D+, plus, like gets the job done, but Evolving Wilds does it so much better. Yeah, for sure. Were there were there other things that you, so the, the removal thing was a big thing I picked up from Sasha's stream, or, or the watching you guest on Sasha's stream. Were, were there other things that you picked up from, from Skyping in with him? Yeah, it was so cool. Just like watching how he plays the game and hearing him narrate his thought process and having me there to suggest lines and him point out why those lines weren't optimal and just how well he plays the game even while streaming like he's very engaged on his opponent's turn as well and i think that's something that i really need to do to improve his magic player so he was talking about trying to play the game from your opponent's side during their turn as well and anticipate what they're going to do and i think i have a tendency during my opponent's turn to like take that time off in f6 get that f6 value right (laughs) and look over at chat and talk to chat as opposed to really thinking critically about the game during my opponent's turn um and he was talking about how that keeps you focused and in tune with the board state and triggers and things that are happening and i have a tendency to do that very passively also which is one of the reasons i think i struggle like when i transition to paper magic for a little bit because i'm i I just let magic online pop up the triggers as opposed to thinking okay this is going to trigger and i'm going to do this blah 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 Mm. so just being like a super active participant in the games as opposed to a passive one and letting mtgo do things and he's just so 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 patient with all his cards trying to leverage them uh, to their fullest potential like one time he went down to three life like passing up what looked like fine trades to me and eventually maneuvered to where he was winning a game like just a master at what he does and super super good uh, at identifying what's important in the matchups now when you say like anticipate what your opponent is going to do on their turn do you mean like are you thinking is he thinking like if they play a creature here that means x or like if they what does that mean like if they're making attacks uh like he's very good about anticipating like if they attack with this i think that means they have plus two plus two or he's always trying to deduce what sort of tricks they've got in their hand based on what attacks they make or whether or not they think they're the aggressor like he he's always like balancing and weighing decisions the opponents make as to how that relates to where their mindset's at and what he should be doing as a result of that 
That is super awesome. And do we want to touch on like where we're at with the, the format now? Like it feels like things have sort of settled from not only our avoiding the aggro trap, but like we had the pro tour last week. Um, we had the limited resources episode come out where they by and large sort of fell in line with what we had said on the avoiding the aggro trap episode. And it seems like we're, we're in a general state of perhaps agreement about the speed of this format. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think the format's leaning more late game. But like we said earlier, there are still aggro decks out there and they're very potent and you need to respect them and you need to construct your deck in a way that you can still beat them and their best draws. And we're going to delve into some stuff here that uh, Dustin Stern, who's an insanely talented limited player, has talked about. And we were discussing the format and he was, you know, saying his win rate's gone way up. He's probably like at around a 75% win rate recently here in the format. Um, And he said there's three keys to the format in his mind, like to success in the format. And the first one is that you need ways to stall out the board. So things like Sailor of Means, things like Suncrested Pterodon, the the four and a white for the two five flyer with Dino Vigilance, stuff that excels like that with big butts that's going to clog up the board. You need good removal, hence uh, like Water Knot and Luminous Bonds going up for us. There are bombs, there are big creatures, uh, cards that are going to be super powerful in the late game that you need ways to answer. And then winning the game with evasion. Uh, those were his three keys to the format. Yeah. And then today, we're lucky enough to be recording on the day that he he released this little spreadsheet. He had uh, about six biggest movers up or down for him in the format uh, in terms of, of commons uh, that he graciously allows us to, to divulge to you here on the podcast. So his biggest mover up from uh, Triple Ixalan was Contract Killing. He now thinks this is the best removal spell. The fact that it kills their best thing and then gives you two permanents towards the city's blessing is really huge, and I, I couldn't agree more, and I hadn't quite thought about it in those terms, that it works on, like, two axes. Yeah, super, super good. Uh, Legion Conquistador is his next biggest mover up. Helps negate Mana Flood, clogs up the board, and provides card advantage for white in a in a color that doesn't necessarily get card advantage. So, And I've recently, I've been playing with Legion Conquistador a lot, and I think my ideal number in my mind of Legion Conquistadors was three. And in talking more, like over the last two, three days of streaming with uh, Dustin and Sasha in chat, I think the ideal number is more like three to five, and probably four being where you want to be, maybe up to five, depending on what your three drop slot looks like, mm-hmm. um, because it, it just lets you mulligan so well, too. If you mulligan yep. down to five with a Legion Conquistador in your hand, you're drawing four more cards. Great. Like, if you've got five of them in your deck, like, it just feels like you don't mulligan at all. It lets you mulligan well, and again, like, clogging up the board so that people can't attack through on the ground. It just does so many things well uh, and trades with so many of the cards like right we identified that the average power and toughness in the set is a 2-2 and this is a 2-2 that provides multiple other 2-2s along with it it's really powerful yeah i mean that goes back to what we were talking about in the aggro trap episode was that like the decks we want to play are decks that mulligan well and that's what you just said legion conquistor having three to five copies in your deck makes your deck mulligan much better Mm -hmm. and i think as a result i'm going to start picking them a little higher because i was i think you need to pick the first one fairly highly if you're trying to get to that four or five count yeah, you gotta be, you gotta sort of plant your foot, I think, midway through pack one as like the person who's picking those up because you don't really wanna be competing with anyone for them. Yep. Um, the next card he had was Crushing Canopy. We've talked about this before. He is now happy to main deck one to two of these, and I couldn't agree more. I'm yep. thrilled, thrilled to have one of these in my green decks. Yeah, there are busted enchantments running around and good flyers and winning with evasion. Like, you sometimes can't attack through Suncrusted Pterodon, the bird, and or Sunny T, depending on your leanings. And Crushing Canopying, that feels so good. Yeah. Cobbled Wings, another one. My boy. I was pretty high on this last week, and it's nice to hear that Dustin uh, thinks Cobbled Wings has gone up as well, too. The format's defined by evasion and flyers, and this card is really good on offense, like putting it on a Colossal Dreadmaw or a 4-4 or a Dust Charger or whatever, having a giant flying threat that way. And it's great on defense, like especially in decks like Black Green or something that maybe... Uh, struggles to interact with flyers it just really does a lot of work yeah we talk about sailor means every week so i'm happy to talk about it again here this does a lot of the things that he was talking about in his three points it's a defensive three drop it allows splashing bombs it gets you closer to the city's blessing it works on a lot of different axes yep for sure and dreadmaw colossal dreadmaw the four green green for the six six dinosaur with trample 
The Knight of the Stampede makes this card a lot better. So three and a green for the two, four that makes your dinosaurs cost two less. Being able to go Knight and then untap and play Dreadmaw, even if you miss your fifth land drop, makes Colossal Dreadmaw a much more reasonable card. And even if you don't get Knight of the Stampede, sometimes you just need like two Colossal Dreadmaws at the top of your curve in a green deck as a finisher. You've got mm-hmm. to make sure if you're like playing a mid-range or a late game deck that you've got ways to close out the game. And Colossal Dreadmaw is the best thing at common or uncommon probably that doesn't have flying. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just so much bigger than everything else at common or uncommon. Um, and his last uh, mover up was, uh, or he called them biggest winners and biggest loser. His ba- last biggest winner is uh, Pirate's Prize. He says he's now not embarrassed by this card anymore. Uh, draw two and get a permanent towards the city's blessing is actually pretty good right now. Yeah, I think so. And especially if you don't pick up Secrets of the Golden City or something in the Rivals pack. Yeah. Biggest losers, Hammer Skull is at the top of this list. Mm-hmm. Two and a white for the two, three dinosaur that can tap something down on your opponent's side when it attacks. According to Dustin, and I think I agree heavily, attacking on the ground, like planning to win through attacking on the ground is just not really a thing in this format anymore. And it's harder to get multiple Hammer Skulls, which is when they really shined, um, being able to tap down two of your opponent's blockers or something. Um, so it just has gone down. I mean, it's still fine like you're probably going to play it in your white decks but i don't think it's probably the windmill slam first pick that it was in triple Xlon. right it's not like one of the best commons in the format anymore right like for example pious interdiction is probably certainly head and shoulders above hammer skull now for sure yeah pirates cutlass he says it's still fine but it's not the format defining card that it was anymore this has to do with the fact that he thinks red is bad now or yes yep. he's on board the train he's on board the train he says he thinks red is bad now and black is more controlling and so while pirates cutlass really could go in any deck like you really did want like really shined in pirate decks in some sort of grixis based deck so that you could take advantage of the auto equipping and he's so now now he's on taking like the, the removal spells like vanquish the weak or contract killing over cutlass yeah, absolutely makes sense to me. Raptor Companion, I love <laughs> this next sentence. Card is now garbage. One and a white for the 3-1 dinosaur. I have been down on Raptor Companion since the beginning of this format, and he says it suffers from not enough uh, hammer skulls, which like you can't get a critical mass of those again anymore, and aggressive two drops just don't define the format. Now, it is still annoying when you miss your two drop or your three drop and your opponent plays a Raptor Companion, but if you play anything on turn two or turn three, Raptor Companion just does stone nothing. Jungleborn Pioneer embarrasses this card so hard. Uh, and there are just so many other ways just to blank the card. Sailor embarrasses that card. Doesn't do much. I really try to avoid putting Raptor Companion in my decks. Yeah, and he's got Nest Robber on the list as well and says see above. So all the things that punish Raptor Companion punish Nest Robber as well. Um, he's got Fathomfleet Firebrand on the list as as well, which uh, you know harkens back to red is now bad. Two mana two twos don't really matter anymore. Um, he feels like this card was a lot better when you had three packs of Hammer Skulls or Skullduggeries to sort of leverage how like good the smoke breathing on this card was, but it just you don't have that now. It's not about attacking with ground creatures. So so this this one in red two two is not as good as it once was. Bishop Soldier on the list. This makes me a little sad. The life gain is not really as relevant as it was in Triple Ixalan. And again, 2-2s two for 2 are not as great as they used to be uh, as the format slows down and this card gets blanked by a Sailor of Means or a 1-3 from your opponent. Um, so it's it's unlikely that you're going to be racing with your opponent with two drops in this format. And that was where Bishop Soldier really excelled in the last format. Mm-hmm. And we should say that th- these are with gradations. So like the he had like a shading of color in this spreadsheet where like the top of the list was like the biggest loser. And then as we went down, less so biggest losers, but still cards. He's not as high as he once was on. And the last one on the list is one with the wind. He says still a great card, but it lost some oomph with the additional answers of cheap removal and bounce in rivals cards like contract killing have moved ahead of this for him for sure i agree with all of those points and i think the framing his framing of the format in you want to stall the board you want to have removal to answer your opponent's stuff and you want to have evasion to win just having that in the back of my mind when i'm drafting guiding my drafts i think has helped improve my win rate as well yeah so thanks dustin for letting us share that on the podcast absolutely moving on to sideboarding here we go. So we have, I, I like doing the sideboarding episode as like a staple throughout uh, each format, but I think it's especially relevant here for Rivals of Ixalan, which you you certainly nailed in suggesting it as, as an episode for this week. And I'm happy that we're getting to do it earlier in the format rather than later. Yeah. So as you build your deck, you want to be aware of, and even during the drafting portion, you want to be trying to build your sideboard during the draft 
to, I think, have game against both aggro and control. I think that's why sideboarding is so important here, because you're trying to build your main deck to straddle the line between those two matchups, and then as soon as you know whether you're against an aggro deck or against a late game deck, you want to be able to shift as many cards in your deck to make that matchup as favorable for you as possible. Yeah, so like the thing we were talking about with you noticing how active Sasha was during his opponent's turn, I think this is like a part of your drafting brain that you have to like exercise and turn on because being aware of things as you're drafting in terms of like what's main deckable what's sideboardable when you're building your deck being aware of like all right these are my 23 cards and but i also am aware that i have access to this card for this kind of effect or this answer for this kind of bomb that my opponent could have and so then you're already sort of priming yourself when you go into game one match one is like oh if i see this thing oh that's something i want to bring in or, oh, I, I see my opponent is in this color pair. What does that tell me about the kinds of things they might have? What do I have in my sideboard to answer that? What sorts of things are in my main deck that are bad against that? What things do I want to bring out? So it's not only about, like, what cards are you trying to bring into your deck, but what cards are currently in your deck that may need to be replaced. That's how I've been more approaching it in this format. Like when I go to sideboarding, I try to look at my main deck and I think what doesn't match up well against what I'm my opponent's doing. And then I try to shift those out and bring in as many cards that I do think as are good. But I'm starting with what I want to get out of my main deck and then looking at what I can bring in from my sideboard. Yeah, for sure. So like general things you can think about, is this an aggro matchup? I probably don't have time for the card draw spells I have. I need to lower my curve. I need more life gain. Is this a late game grindy matchup? Do I have some more top end I can bring in? Do I have another card draw spell in the in the sideboard? Do I have removal for a large bomb that I probably wasn't main decking at the start? So those are some like general questions, some pretty big like extremes to look at. But I think there's other questions you can ask within that framework, but that's just a, a base starting point. Yeah, and I think you even want to start asking yourself those questions during the draft portion. Like, if I get matched up against aggro, do I have the cards in my sideboard that I can bring in to shore up that matchup? Or if I get matched up against a late game deck, do I have the cards that are necessary to bring in to shore up that matchup for me? So when I'm drafting, I want as many cards that can work well against aggro and control. Like, those are premium cards. And then once that's filled up, like my main deck just with generic good cards, I'm trying to get as many silver bullets as I can against aggro and control. And unless you unless you manage to balance all that, it's really hard to 3-0 unless you just get lucky and dodge the pairings. Like, for example, your deck matches up well against aggro and you get matched up against three aggro decks. Or sometimes, like, if you're playing a mid-range deck and you get matched up against control deck, you just feel like you can never win if you don't have more late-game stuff to bring in. Like, it just feels absolutely hopeless because you don't pressure your opponent enough and you know they've got better late-game cards than you. So, like, with all that in mind, I think you've already mentioned this, but we're back to bread. So when you're drafting, you want to pick the most generically powerful cards, bombs, good removal first, uh, and fill out your main deck. And then as soon as you get to a pack where there's nothing uh, that might make your main deck or is a filler card, I want to pick the most powerful silver bullets I can. So, for example, like, I think Recover really excels in certain matchups. So I'm I'm higher on Recover than most people because there's times if the matchup's grindy, I want to bring in three recovers and have three recovers in my deck something like ancient brontodon which looks like absolute garbage six gg for the nine nine just having access to bigger creatures than your opponent if the game's going to go long is super powerful or clunky rares like nezahal primal tide the the five blue blue for the seven seven rare elder dinosaur that like can flicker itself and when your opponent casts a non-creature spell you draw a card like not a great card but if the game's going to go long that does turn into a threat that your opponent needs to deal with. Or even something like Conqueror's Galleon, like the four mana for the 210 boat that flips into the land that lets you like rebuy things from your graveyard and draw cards, etc., etc. There's not time for that stuff against aggro necessarily, and I'm not necessarily going to start it on my main deck. But once I know the matchup's slow, having as many cards like that that are powerful in the late game to bring in out of your sideboard is really, really, really good. Yeah, so it sounds like where we're at, and this is all sort of uh, dependent on how many picks you have for your like playable count so like you want to be tracking that it's about you want about seven to eight per pack but it sounds like we're going like all right from picks like one through six ish these are like the strong cards we're hoping are going to make our main deck and then from about like six to nine that's where i feel like you get the access of like replacement level cards versus very strong sideboard cards and then after that that's when you're like wheeling 
the like replaceable two drops, the things that, that we're calling defensive speed to help you face those aggro decks. So the, the vanilla two twos, the sworn guardian, that's the one on a blue one three merfolk, snubhorn sentry, the one white mana oh three that can be a three three with the city's blessing. All those things feel sort of interchangeable and are doing the sort of same things uh, against the aggro decks, which is providing speed bumps while you set up your, your mid to late game. Absolutely. I've been approaching the drafts as spending picks, my early picks on like good mid-range and good late game cards and then trying to wheel my early game. Like so not spending premium picks on cards like Kitesail Corsair or what's the name of the Merfolk, the one in the green for the two one. Goat Grove Stalker. <laughs> Thank you. Goat Grove Stalker. Cards like that. I don't want to be spending early picks on those cards. I want to be wheeling filler type two twos or the oh four the gleaming barrier things like that to fill out the early part of my curve and i think something that has shifted from this format or in this format from other formats where we often think about things like plummet or crushing canopy flying removal like removal spells that only hit flying creatures as sideboard material it's like yeah this will be a an ace out of the sideboard if i'm playing against a blue deck that is not the case in this format. I think flying is such a key to this format. I mean, it's the third point in Dustin's list, right? Win with evasion. That main decking copies of Cobbled Wings, Crushing Canopy, and yes, even Plummet are where you want to be if you don't have other answers for those kinds of threats. Right. And I think in the order it goes like, if your deck really has no flying, you want Cobbled Wings first. If your deck's got like a medium amount of flying, then Crushing Canopy probably gets better if you're green. Like if you pair green with another color pair that's got some flying and then Plummet's the worst of those. But like in a green black deck, I'm fine main decking a copy of Plummet because if Plummet is a dead card, I'm probably winning the game anyway because my green black deck is so good on the ground. And if Plummet's live, great, it's Doomblade in my deck. Right. So that's where we're at. Like flying, I think, is sort of not quite as characteristic as it would be in terms of like how you'd be sideboarding against it, because you really want to be main boarding against it in this format. Yeah. On to enchantments and artifacts. I think these are even more relevant than normal. There are a lot of gold colored enchantments that flip into lands that are just absolutely busted in this format. Ones that come to mind off the top of my head, Profane Procession, the one white black for the enchantment that lets you pay five to remove something. You do it three times, it flips, and then you get to cast those cards that you removed. Uh, Hadana's Climb, Dustin has made me a believer in how powerful this card is, and a head dude as well. I was saying earlier that I didn't think I would splash this card. I've changed my tune. It wins the game on the spot pretty much when you flip it usually. Yep. There's enchantment removal running around. Like if you've got big stuff, Water Knot, Luminous Bonds, being able to blow those up is very, very good. So stuff that interacts well with those, why don't you run down that for us? Yeah, so Crushing Canopy, as we talked about, when you're already main decking these, if you have them, that's the two in the green. Instant, destroy target, Creature with flying or destroy target enchantment. Naturalize out of the rivals pack. One in a green. Destroy target artifact or enchantment at instant speed. There's artifact destruction with demolish and shatter. Uh, so demolish is three in a red. Destroy target artifact or land. And we'll get to that second part in a minute. Uh, shatter is one in a red for the instant destroy target artifact. And there are artifacts out there that you actually want to blow up. I mean, there's equipment. Cobbled wings, pirate's cutlass, captain's hook. There's Azor's Gateway, the the looter artifact we talked about earlier. There's Golden Guardian, the artifact that when it flips and and dies, you get to pump out a bunch of 4-4s. Like, there are things you want to blow up. So having access to these out of your sideboard, I think, is actually more important than than in, in some previous sets. True Confession, are you ready for this? I'm ready for it. True Confession... I did not know Shatter was in either of these two sets, and I could not tell you which set Shatter was in. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I have no idea. If you got to get on that sideboard and trade, it's in Rivals. I've never once looked at that card. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, uh, and there's also Cleansing Ray, which I think is a really, really strong sideboard card. Uh, one and a white for the sorcery, destroy target vampire, or destroy target enchantment. Uh, I think this is not only good to have access against the uh, enchantments, but also just good to have access against a white-black deck. Yeah, for sure. Cleansing Ray has been insane when you bring it in against vampires. It's oh, yeah. Super efficient. Uh, the flip lands are running around. So if you can't get them on the enchantment side, maybe you can get them on the land side. So Spreading Rot, four in a black, destroy target land. Its controller loses two life. Sideboardable in a pinch, I think, against Profane Procession and Hadana's Climb. And mm -hmm. Demolish, also three in a red, has that text besides destroying target artifact of destroying target land. So both cards that you can bring in against those flip lands. For sure. Uh, we've been talking about x ones and uh, this is sort certainly like a sideboarding against aggro decks mostly but if your opponent has a lot of x1 creatures there are answers to that that i think could probably just be main deckable like dual shot the single red just deal uh, one damage up to each of two target creatures i think that's quite good it's also quite good to main deck if you have a bunch of enraged targets there's shake the foundations that's 
Two in a red for the instant, deal a damage to each creature without flying and draw a card. Fanatical Firebrand, I think you really nailed this as like not really uh, an aggro card, but really an answer to aggro from the mid-range decks. This is the single red 1-1 one, one pirate with haste. Tap to sacrifice it and deal a damage to something. And then even Sea Legs, while not really an answer to creatures with one toughness, but an answer to small non-pirate creatures, this is the single blue mana for the instant aura that gives a pirate plus zero plus two or a non-pirate creature minus two minus zero. I had an opponent that I was playing against yesterday that had four sea legs in their deck and they were also like drawing an absurd number of cards with like they had the the immortal sun and Jeez. awakening Jeez. so at one point they had them both out against me and were drawing three cards a turn but they had four sea legs and it was actually really good against my deck so with that in mind my newfound use for sea legs I think it's very good against cards like exultant sky marcher and like vampire revenant so flyers that don't have a lot of power being able to shut them down for one mana is yeah. pretty strong. I also think it's not irrelevant that it's a single mana permanent for the city's blessing that can happen at instant speed. Like, the fact that you can, like, throw this out as your 10th permanent and suddenly your Dusk Charger is a 5-5 is pretty big game. Ooh, I've never thought about that. That's tricky. I mean, that's very corner case. Like, it's rare for that all to line up exactly how you want it to, but it can happen. Yeah, for sure. As far as playing against enchant removal, so... Luminous Bonds and Water Knot, the white and the blue enchantment removal from Rivals. And there's still enchantment removal floating around the Ixalan pack a little bit. Yeah, Pious Interdiction. So there's cards that you can board in against those that really excel. Costly Plunder, the first one. I think you nailed this one. I've been actively happy having a Costly Plunder in my sideboard. And I think it's probably maybe even main deckable uh, if you don't have a lot of card advantage. Like if you don't have Recovers or something in your black deck. So Costly Plunder is one in a black for the instant speed. Sack a creature or an artifact and draw two cards. Also just fine if you've got treasure floating around. Mm -hmm. Storm Sculptor, I think, has gone up quite a bit from Triple Ixalan. That's three and a blue for the three, two unblockable Merfolk. When it enters the battlefield, you return a creature you control to its owner's hand. It is still tempo negative, and you've got to be careful with it. Um, but if you know you're in a grindy matchup, it's great in a grindy matchup. Like, that's when you want to be, like, a little tempo negative for grinding out some value. So if you rebuy something that's got a, an enchantment removal spell on it, great. Like, that's insanely good. And even just getting a little bit of value is strong as well. So something to keep in mind, not even just against enchantment removal, but maybe just in a slower matchup makeshift munitions is another great one one in a red for the enchantment pay one sacrifice an artifact or a creature and deal one damage to target creature or player being able to sacrifice the thing that your opponent put water knot or luminous bonds on and maybe pick off an x1 or something like that or add in another point of damage when your creatures are fighting in combat slowly adds up i think over the course of the game and then Ruthless Knave, two and a black. This was the cornerstone of one of my multicolored monstrosity decks that I recently trophied with. <laughs> two and a black for the three, two, and you can pay two and a black for the ability to sacrifice a creature and make two treasure tokens. And then at any time, you can sacrifice three treasure tokens to draw a card. This was in a deck with a bunch of Sailor Means. I had uh, Gishath. Is that the the, the Naya Dino? Yeah. Set? Is that the name of it? No, it's from the new set. Zakama's the oh, one. Oh, Zakama. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I had a I had a Zakama from the new set, which is uh, six white, green, red for a nine nine, and you can pay it. when it enters the battlefield. You untap all your lands. It's a Planeswalker that you can activate all of its loyalty as many times as you want. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's you. Two in a red, deal three to a creature. Two in a white, gain three life. Two in a green, destroy target artifact or enchantment. I had that. I had Azor, the two white, white, blue, blue, six, six flying Sphinx that lets you Sphinxes <laughs> rev. And I had Tetsamok, all in the same deck. So I had some heavy color requirements, and Ruthless Knave was invaluable, <laughs> helping me meet my color requirements. But anyway, also doubles well against... Uh, so went on a side trip there, sorry. <laughs> also doubles well against Luminous Bonds and Water Knot to let you turn those cards into future cards down the road with Sacking Treasure. And Cacophodon, this is a shout-out to Generation D20, the 3 and a green for the 2-5 Dinosaur with the Enrage Trigger of Untapped Target Permanent. This card really embarrasses Water Knot out of your opponent. And I think Dinos is particularly vulnerable to Water Knot because they've got a lot of big clunky Colossal Dreadmaws running around. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind, uh, Cacophodon, either in the main deck or out of the sideboard, can be very good against Water Knot. So sort of moving into like thinking about sideboarding not only for those those corner cases that I feel like people are aware of, but also thinking about it in a, a more general sense about like how your creatures match up against your opponent's creatures. So thinking about bodies that match up well, depending on who you're playing against, you can get these options late is I think another important safety tip here. So something like Imperial Ceratops, that's the four and a white, three, five with enrage gain two life. That's pretty dang good at brickwalling some like 
you know, Fathom Fleet Borders or some a Raging Regisaur. Well, it doesn't really brick wall Raging Regisaur, but, you know, some 4-4, a Sanguine Glorifier that got a token on it, or a counter on it, rather. So, like, if you see some some just generic 3-3s and 4-4s on the other side of the battlefield, that might be a pretty good good creature to, to throw down. Uh, Sworn Guardian, that's the one in a blue 1-3. That's quite good against non-evasive 2-2s. If you're playing against a vampire deck that just has some some Bishop Soldiers or Martyr of Dusks, like, that's a pretty good card to bring in to, to stonewall those 2-2s. Also, like a river darter is a card that we're not super happy about. That's the two in a blue, uh, two three that can't be blocked by dinos. But if you're you seeing a bunch of two twos on the ground, a hardy veteran it bounces off of that pretty nicely. Um, these are, are the kinds of things you should be looking at in terms of like matching up those those bodies there. What, what, what else we got on this list? Next one's my boy Canal Monitor <laughs> four in a black that big beautiful lizard. This is a five three vanilla. This card's done some serious work for me out of the sideboard, and I've even main decked it. Uh, and when I've been like slightly short on playables, so I think this flies a little under the radar. It attacks super well into defensive creatures. Like if your opponent's trying to jam the board with three sailor of means or whatever, canal monitor really attacks well into that. And especially if you've got combat tricks to back it up or something. I was gonna say. <laughs> what well you're like you set up a board with three sailor means great i just triple block your canal monitor yeah but if you blow out one of the sailors yeah yeah the fact that it can attack into sailor and i think even more importantly into sun crested pterodon which mm. is four and a white for the two five dino a five three matches up really well against that two five sun crested pterodon so i think that's a card people should keep in mind bringing it out of the sideboard mm-hmm. there's also pitiless plunder uh three and a black for the one four when a creature you control dies you make a treasure that's a fine defensive card against two twos and even three threes if you're not able to pick up Sailor of Means or maybe you're not blue. I don't think I'd be interested in main decking that, but maybe it could come in out of the board. And I've mm-hmm. come around a bit on Arazka Raptor. I don't think this card is quite as embarrassing as I thought it was. Uh, the two red red for the three four vanilla dinosaur. I think that does fine work against your opponent's three threes. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think the card, I was pretty impressed by its stats in the set review. I haven't brought it in a ton, but I do like having access to it. Like, it can make a difference if you're running, like, some brazen freebooters in a red deck, and then you're like, you know what, I really need that 3-4 so that I can, I'm not trading off with 3-3s, I'm holding off the 3-3s. Yep. Uh, Stampeding Horncrest is another thing I really like, either main deck or bringing out of the board. This, again, attacks well into Sailor of Means and is very good against tempo decks. Like, if your opponent's trying to crashing tide you out of the game, the fact that you can play this and attack with haste if you've got other dinos is some serious game. Yeah. Uh, a card that Ryan Sachs keeps talking about in Discord and in chat that he's really been happy with is Suncolored Raptor. He's been drafting a bunch of, like, janky red-black mid-range decks, and something he's been really happy with is, like, trading off Suncolored Raptor early and then re recovering it and then just being able to use it as like a fireball late in the game so this is the one in a red for the one two dinosaur with trample and it has two in a red it gets plus three plus oh until end of turn so you can activate that as many times as you have three mana available yeah once it gets to late in the game and if your life total is a little low if your opponent's got six mana they're staring down a seven two trample which is not nothing yeah it's tough i mean it's and at that point you do get a good like mix of like threat of activation so it can like get in for one or four if you like want to do something else with your turn it's really interesting but again as a theme through this like it attacks well through sailor of means it can trade with sun crested pterodon that's sort of what we're looking at in terms of like these matchups like how do your creatures match up either against the aggro decks or like the the, the dumb mid-range decks or the the late game board stall decks and and different creatures are going to match up favorably depending on on what you're facing yeah, Colossal Dreadmall, I'm happy to main probably two of, maybe three if I've got uh, some Knights of the Stampede, which make it cost two less. But it's bigger than everything, and if I'm green, I want access to as many Colossal Dreadmalls as possible in the sideboard. So if I see one 10th pick, I am snapping it up if I'm green. Because there's sometimes when you want to bring in like four or five if you know the game's going to go slow and your opponent struggles against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arazka Frillback, that's the two and a green for the 4-2, attacks through Sailor of Means. Overgrown Armasaur, that's the three green green 4-4 four, four, that Enrage makes a 1-1 one, one Sapperling. Guess what? Attacks through Sailor of Means. And attacks into Suncrested Pterodon even if you want to just make a 1-1 one, one every turn. And Cacophodon, that's the 2-5 we talked about earlier for four mana with Enrage untap something. Uh, that's pretty great against opposing ground creatures. Like a 2-5 body is really tough. Uh, what's that merfolk from uh, from Ixalan that's 2-5? Uh, the... Oh god, I have and, no idea. And that's it for us, <laughs> Name folks. that card! That's it, we're out. Um, but yeah, 2-5 bodies are, are quite, quite good against the 2-2s two and 3-3s three floating around. 
life gain. I think it's still especially important to have access to as much life gain as possible in the sideboard. Uh, if you do get matched up against aggro, aggro often folds very easily to uncontested life gain. So I want as many extra squires devotions, although I'm probably jamming all those in my main deck, let's be honest. Yeah, let's be honest. Extra squires devotions, not really a thing. <laughs> And Queen's Agents, the 5 and a black for the 3-3 three, three lifelinking vampire and or Mark of the Vampire, a 3 and a black for the enchantment that gives your creature plus 2, plus 2 in lifelink. You always want to have access to that type of effect and you want to sideboard in as many of those as you've got against aggro. Yeah, for sure. If you're facing expensive spells or big creatures like Zakama, I think is a sort of perfect example of these that like nine mana just win the game on the spot kind of card like how do you answer those kinds of things well legion's judgment exists that's the two and a white sorcery destroy target creature with power four or greater also a great answer to just colossal dreadmaws i think hand disruption is definitely something you want to have access to if you're a black deck like a dark inquiry or a heartless pillage or an arterial flow like these are all ways to get those late game cards out of your opponent's hand before they're able to cast them and same with counter spells well you just gotta like hold up your cancel when they get to nine mana or hold up your horn swoggle or whatever the the pirate leak as well the the spell that is two in a blue costs one mana less for the pirate if you have a pirate in play and it makes their spell countered unless they pay four mana so essentially countering a late game bomb um those are all ways to answer the like powerful stuff that does exist in this format and if you're going to the finals in a draft league you're gonna see something like this Yes, if you're in blue and black, Counterspells and Hand Disruption, I think, are some of the most premium sideboard cards you can pick up and have access to. Dustin keeps, you know, we've, we've referenced him a lot, but he's been hanging out in our chat a lot, and I think he's got great things to say about the format. On Twitter, he keeps talking about decks, can't beat a Tetsamok, can't beat a Tetsamok. And some of the best ways to do that are with, like, Dark Inquiry and or Counterspells. Yep. If you've got grindier matchups... You really want to be able to take advantage of, you know, being able to draw more cards and or filter the cards that you're drawing. So Rummaging Goblin, I think, despite like being totally unplayable in Ixalan, is now not an embarrassing card to main deck and can be very good out of the sideboard. So this is two and a red for the one one Goblin that lets you rummage. So discard a card, then draw a card. If you know the game's going long, being able to draw six or seven lands and stay there is very, very powerful. Tomb Robber, similarly, but I think is maybe a little worse than Rummaging Goblin. Mm -hmm. Two and a black for the 1-1, one, one, where you can pay one and discard a card to explore. If you hit a land, then you're drawing it, getting it off the top of your deck. And if you hit action, you know, the Tomb Robber is growing into a threat and making sure that you're drawing good spells. But the, it doesn't ever really net you a card advantage. So I'm a little, I'm, I'm not super high on Tomb Robber. I don't know how you feel about it. I think it does like a poor impression of Rummaging Goblin, but it's still fine. Like it's going to, you're going to filter, right? Like the scenario that happens is you have extra lands in hand. So you discard lands until you're going to draw a spell next turn. Yep. Uh, I, I refuse to You're wrong. <laughs> recommend that. You're wrong. Ben, I put Pirate's Pillage on this list. That's the three and a red. Uh, discard a card, draw two cards, and make two treasures. I put this on this list because I think this is the exact kind of thing you bring in in a grindier matchup when you don't have sources of card advantage. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. You're so rude. So rude. <laughs> I do think this is probably fine, but... Probably fine. Probably fine. I would much prefer Rummaging Goblin to a Pirate's Pillage. You put them... You bring them both in. It was good in decks that you've had it in. I, I think it belongs in deck lists that I've seen you have it in. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a deck, uh, like a five-color Zakama deck, and all it wanted was to just dig, dig 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 to that card and be able to cast it and uh, pirates pillage does both of those things so well so i think like there are very very small corner cases but corner cases nonetheless where that card is main deckable yeah for sure and then boarding based on color pairs but not necessarily cards that you've seen so like just you know generally what a color pair is trying to do so maybe pre-boarding against that against red black they've probably got few and or no flyers so you could side out some flying defense and bring in larger threats to outclass their smaller piratey type creatures that are bad in the late game if you're up against a blue-white base deck, right, that's going to have enchantment removal and flyers. So bring in ways to punish them for their enchantment removal and answers to flying threats. And this is even if you haven't seen them. Like, if you haven't seen a Water Knot or a Pious Interdiction after game one, you could probably assume that they have some sort of effect like that. Yeah, I think so. Against red-green and white-green, they're going to be running some big dinosaurs. So I think... You want to side in evasion if you've got it. Extra flyers are always good and answers to large threats. So maybe you've got that Legion's Judgment, the two and a white destroy target creature four or greater floating in the sideboard. And you didn't see any Colossal Dreadmaws out of your green opponent that's playing dinosaurs. But I think you can probably trust that they're going to play some things at the top of their curve that Legion's Judgment is going to be able to hit and it will be very good for you. Black, white, 
they probably have vampire targets, even if you didn't see them, and they probably have good, clean removal, like Impale or Contract Killing. So Cleansing Rays are definitely coming in, and I think if you're blue, bringing in Dive Downs or Negates to have cheap answers to the Impales and Contract Killings are a good way to combat those strong removal spells. Yeah, against blue-green, if they're aggressive, they probably have some Enhancement-type cards, some One with the Winds, a Curious obsession river herald's boon even jade barriers the single green for the one one that puts a plus one plus one counter on something so i think bringing in bounce spells preemptively uh, is totally fine uh, to combat you know they're them trying to voltron their creature make some large flying threat yeah for sure in blue red you're probably facing evasive or and or unblockable threats so life gain excels to mitigate the damage or help race those sorts of opponents and removal is better than defensive creatures so even clunky conditional removal so like for example slasher talons the single white uh, deal two damage to target attacking or blocking creature that's going to be better than just your random bear because that's going to be able to pick off the goblin trailblazer or the kite sail corsair as a one for one rather than you having to set up some sort of awkward double block or wait till you have your four drop flyer to block their kite sail corsair so ways that your cheap removal can interact with their evasive cheap threats yeah and even the unblockable stuff heaven forbid like the oh, miscloak yeah. heralds and the storm fleet sprinters running around exactly black greens probably super grindy at least that's how all my black greens are so mm -hmm. i think you should actively try to avoid trading things off if you can't beat a recover because i think you should assume every black green deck's got one to two recovers in it um, and if it's a suspicious trade just definitely keep that in mind if your opponent's offering you like you know you're gonna have to three for one yourself against their colossal dreadmaw and that's gonna crush you just be wary of them recovering it i think enchantment removals especially good against black green because they're gonna be playing some big clunky threats might be weak to flyers depending on how they built their decks so citing in more evasion similar to how you would against uh white green or red green and they're gonna have big butts they're gonna have some colossal dread malls etc so citing and removal accordingly against that stuff yeah for sure so not only are we thinking about the kinds of cards that we've seen but we're also thinking about what we know of the format in terms of the decks that we think exist in each color pair and and boarding uh our decks appropriately that's awesome. I, I, I think sideboarding is so important in this format. I've sideboarded more in this format than I have recently in a long, long, long time. Yeah, I think it just makes drafting more interesting to be able to think about those kinds of options as you're going through the draft and as you're going through deck building and as you're going through your, your first game or even your second game if you're going into game three. Like really being an active participant in what cards in your deck are matched up well against your opponent's deck and what cards are not and what things you want to look at out of the sideboard. Um, a really useful tool on MTGO, whenever you're in a match, you can just right-click the battlefield, and the bottom option is view sideboard. So you can always look at what you've got access to, if you don't remember, during the game, so you can be prepared for when you get that two minutes or three minutes of sideboarding to fix your deck to be able to appropriately smash your opponent in games two and three. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Sounds good to me. Uh, we got any treasure hunt updates we want to run through? We do. We have an insane update to our treasure hunt. <laughs> we had someone go infinite with Polyraptors. So B. Scott on MTGO and Misery84 on Twitch went infinite. So he, I was streaming and he like posted his, his deck in chat and was like, hey, you want to take a look at this and, you know, suggest cuts or whatever. And so he had Polyraptor and Forerunner, which already nets you eight Polyraptors, I think. But he also had floating in his sideboard. He was already Naya. Uh, he had the single white mana give target creature indestructible at instant speed. What's the name of that card? You Sheltering know? Light. Sheltering Light. Brutal. <laughs> so that was in his sideboard. And I was like, dude, you have to put that in your deck. It's an infinite combo. Uh, that would be so sweet. And so he was like, all right, great. And did it. And then like an hour and a half later, posted in chat, like, I did it. <laughs> and sent me these screenshots. That was awesome. Yeah. So I'll post those on Twitter. Uh, it's super cool. I think that's probably going to be winning the most Polyraptor competition. So MTGO <laughs> caps you at like 200 tokens or something yeah it was so insane to see that that board state just like all the tiny stacked polyraptor tokens it was gross yeah uh just a reminder if you need to see that achievement list uh come hang out in either of our streams and we've also could link it on twitter if you tweet at us and if you complete five of those achievements you get entered into a giveaway for a draft set of rivals of ixalan and for every achievement that we cross off as a podcast community we're going to do a combined lords of limited stream with ethan and i uh for that number of hours so we've already got 14 crossed off we're only waiting on land ho which is return eight lands to play with world shaper yeah can't wait to see this sicko who unlocks that sounds like you you might be gunning for it 
I'm, I've got a deck with it in there right now. I'm going to try to try to get it done. That's awesome. Um, if you want to come check us out on Twitch, I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same usernames on Twitter, so please come tweet at us. We also have a Lords of Limited Twitter account, so you can tag us there as well. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.